Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media. And the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment. Let's not miss our moment. And now, the Hamilton Corner. And good Monday evening, everyone. Fred Jackson sitting in for Brother Abe tonight. Delighted to be with you this evening on this another busy, busy news day across the country. And the big story starting off this hour is Hurricane Sally. That's right. Maybe when you're going to work this morning, it was Tropical Storm Sally. Now a hurricane. And they say, the experts say, it'll likely be a Category 2 when it comes ashore later on this evening. Now, the window that, uh, again, the experts are looking at, basically New Orleans East, uh, on through Mississippi, Alabama coastline, and obviously grabbing some of the western part of the Florida panhandle. Already mandatory evacuations in place for several communities uh, along the Gulf Coast. And, uh, you know, it's... In some small way, it's a blessing for communities like Lake Charles in Louisiana that this storm is staying further east. But uh, still, these communities, uh, Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi saying this afternoon it looks like his state is going to take a direct hit. So coming ashore as a Category 2, they say. And certainly we want to keep uh, all those folks in our prayers uh, this evening and through the day. Of course, as most of these hurricanes, they hit land, they weaken as they move further north. But it is going to be a major rain event. It is moving very slowly. So that means uh, you will have, yes, significant winds, but also drenching rains in those areas affected. Looks like it's going to move north and then kind of move to the northeast as it moves through uh, the northern part of Mississippi, Alabama, and those areas. So, uh, once again, uh, we are praying for these uh, Gulf communities tonight, like we were when Hurricane Laura hit a couple of weeks ago, a direct hit into Louisiana, like I say, the Lake Charles area. And uh, bless their hearts, uh, they have just started the recovery in the Lake Charles area. Groups like Eight Days of Hope, as you're well aware, if you listen to our programming here, have been busy already. Hundreds of volunteers have already moved into that area. And I'm sure Steve Tiber and the rest of the team of Eight Days of Hope now must be considering, okay, what can we do for the dear folks that are going to be affected by this? So our prayers tonight for you, dear folks, along the coast, as I say, mandatory evacuations already in place for several communities down there. We will be keeping certainly a close eye on Hurricane Sally as uh, over the next several hours and into tomorrow morning. A big, big federal court, federal judge decision this afternoon with regards to the coronavirus and the restrictions put in place by many state governments. This is a hot issue right now. You know, when things started back in March and April, I think most people were willing to go along based on the information we were getting from the Centers for Disease Control and our officials and our government leaders that we had to basically suppressed the curve of this so it didn't overwhelm hospitals. So people were going along with the restrictions. But those restrictions, here we are in September, many months later, 
And some governors, some states are keeping these kinds of restrictions in place. Well, today, a federal judge ruled that some of Pennsylvania Governor's Tom Wolf's restrictions implemented amid the coronavirus pandemic were unconstitutional, marking a major win for businesses struggling to stay afloat amid the forced shutdown. Now, the name of this judge, U.S. District Judge William Stickman IV, who was appointed by President Trump, he sided with the plaintiffs that included, boy, this sounds familiar, hair salons, drive-in movie theaters, a farmer's market vendor, a horse trainer, and several Republican office holders in their lawsuit against Governor Wolf, who happens to be a Democrat, and his health secretary. The ruling found that Wolf's restrictions that required people to stay at home placed side limits, size limits on gatherings and ordered non-life-sustaining businesses to shut down where, listen to this, unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. The Wolf administration's pandemic policies have been overreaching, arbitrary, and violated citizens' constitutional rights, Judge Stickman said. He said the governor's efforts to slow the spread of the coronavirus were undertaken with the good intention of addressing a public health emergency. However, Stickman went on to write, but even in an emergency, the authority of of government is not unfettered. Now, you've heard Brother Abe talk about this unendingly uh, and when asked about this over the last several months. The issue, what is the power of an edict issued by a governor? How long can it be in effect? Is it the same as a law? And no, it isn't. But this is an important decision coming from this U.S. District Judge, William Stickman IV, today, because it addresses the concerns of so many businesses across the country. We've seen the salon owner, for for instance, in Dallas, Texas, who protested uh, stipulations that were put in place there to keep her shut down and keep her business closed and keep her, her people unemployed. She defied that. She went even went to jail for a day or two and then was released. Now she's running for a, a state uh, legislative position there in, in Texas. And, of course, we had the uh, incident involving Nancy Pelosi in San Francisco last week where uh, Nancy Pelosi was caught on videotape going into a hair salon that allegedly had been shut down by government edict. But uh, depending on whose story you want to believe in this, uh, that uh, she she wanted her hair done, and she found somebody to open up that salon for her. Of course, a salon owner said uh, how unfair that was when she was forced to shut down, but Nancy Pelosi still gets her hair done. And Nancy Pelosi said she was set up. Uh, right now, I think my antenna tends to go toward the salon owner. But this is exactly what U.S. District Judge William Stickman IV was talking about. We're now six or seven months into this, and there are inconsistencies with these government orders. We've talked about, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this uh, in, in just the next few minutes, with regards to Grace Community Church and Pastor John MacArthur in California. In California, you can go to a liquor store and buy booze. It's open up. You can walk in there. You can go to various other venues. Go ahead. 
You can go to your Walmart and your Targets. It's wide open for you. But in the case of uh, the pastor's church there in, in California, in L.A. County, the L.A. C- uh, Superior Court ruled against the church on Friday, said they couldn't hold any indoor services. And as you're aware, Pastor John MacArthur, who's been interviewed on our network a couple of times now in the last few weeks, has said, look, we were willing to go along with those restrictions in the early part of all of this. But when the governor started to make decisions about businesses being allowed to open up, but still telling churches, no, you're not allowed to hold services, he said it was that inconsistency, it was that hypocrisy that led him to believe that he should open up his church for services again. Now, on Friday, the L.A. Superior Court once again, as I mentioned, ruled against Pastor MacArthur's church, said they couldn't hold indoor services, and put onerous restrictions on even meeting outside that church. Well, yesterday, people wondered, okay, in the, in the, with regards to the L.A. Superior Court decision, what would Pastor MacArthur do? Well, if you happen to tune in and, and uh, online, Pastor MacArthur went ahead and had services yesterday. But he took time at the beginning of his service to outline for his congregation of about 3,000 people who showed up and for those viewing online. He took time to read the restrictions that have been put in place. Let's cut number one. Um, Here are the basic orders. No indoor meetings at all. Pre-registration of every person who comes onto church property. People only allowed on church property for scheduled events. Every person who comes on the property is to be screened and have their temperature taken at the entry. We all must maintain six feet of social distance at all times everywhere, including the parking lot and the restrooms. Every other parking space must be left vacant. Marked pathways to maintain social distance, keeping people apart, monitored by staff monitors. Everyone always wearing a mask. Restroom monitors to control six feet social distancing at restrooms. Tape on the ground marking distance. Signs indicating these mandates and also full exposure on social media. Restrooms are to be used during the service to minimize the rush. That would be interesting. (laughs) No hymn books, no communion, no offering containers, no pew Bibles, no singing, no hugging, no shaking hands. Disposable seat covers changed between services. And the services have to be shortened. (laughs) That's not a problem to me, right? (laughs) And based upon the separation, we could only meet in the tent with a maximum of 350 to 400 people. Anybody who comes in contact with someone outside their family for more than 15 minutes 
must self-quarantine for two weeks. So there you have it. Imagine for a moment if the government had put those restrictions in place, register people, take everybody's temperature coming in, uh, six-foot separation, all of those. Imagine if that had been put in place for Walmart or Target or a liquor store or whatever the case may be. But no, they were pinpointed at churches, churches, tracking people, quarantine people, if you happen to have come in contact with somebody with COVID for a couple of weeks. Even separation in the parking lot. So car, space, car, space. And their capacity for outside services would only take about 300 people, that's all. So obviously, as you just heard, Pastor MacArthur didn't sound too worried. I mean, he's got the conviction, he's made up his mind that the Lord wants him to hold services there at Grace Community Church. And so does his congregation. If you're watching yesterday, it's really interesting. The place was packed. Also, if you're, uh, I happened to be watching and I was looking at comments as the service was unfolding. There were Christians all over the world watching. There was a church in Scotland, and, and you add about eight hours time difference. So it was evening in Scotland when they were having the morning service in California. There was a church in Scotland had its congregation gathered just to watch the service. And I think they did that because they understand perhaps better than even some Christians here in America the importance of the battle that John MacArthur is fighting at this point. Because if the government can tell you, can tell businesses, hey, it's okay for you to open. In Nevada, it's okay for your casinos to be open. But you, you church, you cannot hold indoor services. The repercussions of that, and for the churches willing to go along with that, the possibility, the possibility, that may be further restrictions down the road. The issue here is how much power the government should have. You had that district judge in Pennsylvania today saying, no, you've gone too far, Democrat governor. We'll see what happens in California. You're listening to the Hamilton Corner. Fred Jackson sitting in for a much more ahead on this Monday evening. We'll be right back after the break. And now, your two-minute health and prayers update from the Presidential Prayer Team, a ministry of the Pray First Radio Network. Trying to make it as simple as we can for Coloradans to thrive and get through this in the safer at home and in our vast great outdoors uh, period that we're in. We're going to make it simple for you. Here's the, here's the four things you should be doing. Got down to four. Stay safe at home whenever possible. Just when you don't need to go out, don't be out, don't be with others. Uh, for older Coloradans and those who are vulnerable, stay home whenever you can. Wearing a mask, it is uh, it is the law in Colorado. Uh, wear, uh, wear your mask. And then, of course, scaling up uh, testing and then what comes after testing, who you've been in contact with. They get warnings. They need to quarantine themselves. Some of them will develop COVID, some won't. But we want to nip that outbreak in the bud. 
Hello, this is Jim Bolthouse, president of the Pray First Radio Network. During these times of uncertainty, we're here for you with current information about the COVID-19 virus, as well as important prayer points to guide you in prayer at a time when our country needs it most. Jeremiah 29:11 reminds us of God's love and His plans for us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We'd like to invite you right now to join us in prayer. Dear God, you are by our side always. Your love lifts us up and helps us to be brave in the face of the day's challenges. Your guidance lets us navigate life's journey with confidence. The wisdom you give us helps us to make the right choices. You're the light in our hearts and the strength in our minds. We thank you for these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. To access free prayer resources that guide you in prayer and to see updates about the COVID-19 virus, go to pausetopray.org. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. New York dealt with the Chinese virus by shutting everything down, schools, businesses, and churches. Sweden dealt with the virus by shutting nothing down. And yet both places have reached near zero deaths at the same time with almost identical antibody levels. All places at near zero deaths have the same antibody levels today, whether they locked down or not, whether they wore masks or not, whether schools were open or closed. Sweden reached the same results as those places that locked everything down and forced everybody to wear masks. The point here is that no matter how careful a jurisdiction is, this bug has a life of its own and no amount of social strangling is going to help. If lockdowns don't work, then we have crippled the greatest economy in human history for absolutely no reason. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. Shining light into the darkness, this is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. We were talking just before the break about Pastor John MacArthur continuing to hold services there at Grace Community Church. He is now in defiance of the uh, the Los Angeles County Superior Court order as of Friday. So we're waiting to see what may happen. Uh, he has said in the past over the last couple of weeks that he has been visited by some sheriffs from the county who say they will not enforce the governor's and the uh, the county's orders. The reasoning being, now not all sheriffs feel this way, obviously across the country, but there are a number of jurisdictions. These sheriffs have said they are there to uphold the law. Now these directions given by governors are not the law. So that's where the rub on that comes. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. They perhaps uh, will find Pastor MacArthur, um, there's also uh, already a debate over a long-term lease that the church has with the county uh, that the county may pull that in the parking lot area. So that may be one area of retribution that the county tries to pull on that church, but we will wait and see. Speaking of uh, very well-known pastors, uh, Dr. Charles Stanley, a longtime pastor at uh, First Baptist in Atlanta, announced his resignation yesterday, stepping down, retiring, and I think he has the right. He's been senior pastor at that church for 50 years. He's 88 years old, but he will be missed. Uh, he is a, just a, he's one of the old-time pastors, as this story I was reading this afternoon. 
He's one of the old-time pastors that uh, stayed at one church uh, basically his his whole lifetime. Uh, so senior pastor for 50 years, and uh, he will uh, be replaced by Dr. Anthony George. Now, probably Dr. Anthony George wouldn't say no, would probably say no one can replace Charles Stanley, and that's probably true. Uh, but Charles Stanley will stay on with his broadcast and uh, be working there. Uh, but he's had a, a couple of visits to uh, to the hospital over the last year or so. But uh, he will stay active with In Touch Ministries. And that is good news because I know a lot of you probably uh, get your daily devotion with the help of Dr. Stanley. So stepping down, we wish him a long and really great uh, retirement. Hey, listen, by the way, before we go any further, we want to welcome viewers from WARZ-TV in North Carolina. Uh, it's at uh, Channel 34, and uh, they are picking up our broadcast. Uh, it's aired at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday there. Uh, so welcome to you folks who may be watching at WARZ-TV in North Carolina. Uh, great to have you with us. Also, a reminder, folks, that the stories that you hear here on American Family Radio uh, many days, uh, you're picking up stories, as we do certainly on today's issues from American Family News. And our website is onenewsnow.com, onenewsnow.com. And you can go there and you can sign up for a daily news brief. You get the summary delivered right to your email. If you go to onenewsnow.com, onenewsnow.com, up at the top of the page, there's a place where you can sign up. Just ask for your name and your email, and we will send just one, just one a day, Monday through Friday, a news brief, giving you the major stories of the day. It's a tremendous tool. Hey, listen, news and information helps shape your worldview, shapes the worldview of your kids. So read those stories. They're from a Christian perspective. And we give you the major news stories of the day, like what's happening with the Hurricane Sally down on, on the coast. But so many issues that cross over, spiritual, political, all of those things from a Christian perspective. So go there, onenewsnow.com, and sign up for our daily news brief. One of the stories that we cover on an ongoing basis, this probably wouldn't shock you, but do you realize the secular media is very left-wing biased? <laughs> I think you probably have figured that one out. And I tell you what, in my 40 years plus in this business, I have never seen the extreme bias that I have seen in recent months since the election campaign started really cranking up. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that most of the mainstream media, and I'm talking about the CNNs and even the Associated Press to a certain extent, um, the way they write their stories, um, I, I think it's not an overstatement to say Trump derangement syndrome has entered the newsrooms, most of the newsrooms of this country. And that's where we are. They're not even trying to hide their bias anymore. And uh, we're dealing with that on a daily basis and looking what these, these news agencies are doing. And uh, a reporter from American Family News, whose job it is uh, to look at that, get comments and reaction to it all, is our own Steve Jordahl, and he joins me right now in the studio. Steve, good evening. Good evening, and uh, good morning to all our Tar Heel friends. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, listen, uh, we're just seeing it almost on an ongoing basis, uh, this bias that's in place by the mainstream media against uh, President Trump. And it's not just President Trump, it's, it's conservative issues in general. 
Yeah, I've only been doing this 20 years, <laughs> as opposed to your 40, and you're right, I've never seen it. It is, I think uh, the word that comes to mind for some reason is unhinged. They mm. just don't seem to have any bearing to reality, what they're reporting, what they're accusing. Um, it, it's They're accusing the president of the opposite things that he's really uh, done. They, they're, they're trying to, today, they're trying to blame him for the fires in California. Joe Biden called President Trump today a climate change arsonist. Yes. That's the term he used. They're blaming him for that. They're blaming him for the riots in Portland. Yes. They're blaming him. I mean, if if it if it breathes, talks, walks, smells, or exists, it's Trump's fault. Oh, hurricanes are Trump's fault now? Yeah, well, he's a climate arsonist. He's also a climate flood, floodist. <laughs> I mean, sure. Yes. Um, I'm sure that they will. Yeah, it's amazing. It is. So you got some examples for us. Well, I do. Um, actually, I wanted to, I, today I was uh, just finishing up a story. You'll be able to read about it tomorrow hmm. on uh, One News Now, um, dealing with the fact that the media has completely ignored the Middle East peace deal that President Trump has brokered hmm. between Israel and Bahrain now, and also Israel and the UAE. Historic. He's been nominated for two Nobel Prizes over that and another peace deal that he did in Eastern Europe. Not a word. You're getting crickets from the national media. They would have been, in fact, they championed this was every president since Nixon, I suppose, or since Israel became a state, mm. has wanted, has, has one of their goals been to broker some kind of a peace deal mm -hmm. in the Middle East. Carter did with Egypt, and it was hailed as historic. Uh, one, it was one of Barack Obama's uh, goals, policy goals. Wasn't able to get it done, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the press loved that goal when he did it. Mm -hmm. With Trump, not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> I brought in a poll. I thought this was interesting. It's from Rasmussen. Um, and they asked voters, they asked him two questions. They said, when it comes to President Trump, is the media more interested in where he stands on the issues or creating controversies about him? Hmm. Question number one, and then they asked the same question about Joe Biden. Is the media more interested in where he stands on the issues or creating controversies around him? Now, I found that the creating controversies that the media is creating them is, is, was an interesting choice of words. Mm -hmm. But I think voters are starting to catch on, Fred. Um, Sixty-seven percent of likely U.S. voters believe the media is more interested in where Joe Biden stands than the media is in creating controversies around him. Um, only forty-one percent of the media think of Americans think that the media is more interested in where Trump stands on the issues, mm -hmm. as opposed to forty-nine percent. Half of Americans think the media is most interested in creating controversies surrounding the president. Yeah, there's no question about that. As you just outlined, they're blaming Trump for the pandemic. They're, uh, they have the audacity to say uh, President Trump has done a terrible job with the economy. <laughs> well, those two are kind of wrapped together. The economy was just rolling along. As we saw, we had the lowest unemployment rate across racial lines. The economy, the, uh, the stock market was doing its best. Pandemic comes along, and basically the decision was made to shut down the economy which is what Joe Biden would have done if he was president also, because that's what the CDC was telling everybody. And in the midst of, you know, it started with the nursing home in Seattle, and then it moved to New York, and then we saw what was happening in Italy and places like that. And so President Trump shut down the economy for a while. Now, I think 
basically, when it comes to the controversies, uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats and the mainstream media would like to see the shutdown of the economy continue through the election. Never let an opportunity go to waste, is how Rahm Emanuel put it at one point. Uh, Maybe he was quoting somebody else. But certainly, um, there are people out there who are smart people who say that the pandemic has passed us or is not as bad as they're saying it is and that uh, part of the reason that it's not going anywhere uh, we're gonna have a miraculous healing on november 3rd is what they're sailing well, saying. The, there was a health official in california wasn't was quoted on my hot mic last week mm. saying well we have to keep this going and she said until after the, the election. election she said it twice hot mic yeah it was a uh, county health commissioner I want to say Ventura County, but it was somewhere in California. Can um, you imagine? Oh, uh, yeah, we've all been saying it, but now it's interesting to have people uh, actually admit it on tape. I agree with this poll as far as the questions go. If you asked me, give me the choice between wanting to know about the issues and wanting to create controversies, I'd agree with the poll. But I don't agree with the poll. Hmm. I don't think Democrat or the media is that interested in hearing about Joe Biden's positions on on uh, on on his his positions on issues. No. You and I have sat in your office many, many times and listened to press grilling uh, President Trump and press talking to Joe Biden. Oh, yes. When it comes to Joe Biden, they're always asking Trump about his controversies. They're asking Joe Biden about Trump's controversies. That's the one, that's the only thing they want to talk to him about. Listen to a couple of the softball questions that Joe Biden got at one of the last press conferences, Cut 11. Kazir Khan said that uh, the comments demonstrated that President Trump's life is a testament to selfishness and that his soul is that of a coward. But when you hear these remarks, suckers, losers, recoiling from amputees, what does it tell you about President Trump's soul and the life he leads? You said today is the angriest you've, you've been as a presidential candidate. Are there are a lot of people out there who are supporting you or inclined to not vote for the president who would say, why isn't Joe Biden angrier about all of this? Yeah. <laughs> They're not asking him about his issues. They don't care where he stands on NAFTA. <laughs> now, how do you feel, Mr. Biden, about this? Let me first tell you how you should feel, and then you can agree with me. Oh, man. You know, and listen, it was the same way with Hillary Clinton. Sure. I remember seeing scenes of Hillary Clinton when she was flying around on her campaign plane back in 2016 and these adoring reporters around her nothing challenging to her hmm. just tell us how you feel about the uh, opposing candidate donald trump that is when donna brazil wasn't feeding them questions to ask yes <laughs> which is happening also with president trump i don't know if you've actually talked much about the teleprompter uh not not today uh but we should uh because the teleprompter is a whole other issue which the mainstream media is not calling Joe Trump on, or uh, pardon me, on Joe Biden on. No. Um, so the the question of outstanding out there is 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 Joe Biden using a teleprompter when he's taking questions from reporters and or the public? Hmm. Because you hear things like top line message when he's in the middle of his 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 answer, or move it up, speaking about something moving up. Presumably the words on the teleprompter that he can't read. So if he's using a teleprompter to answer reporter questions, it says a couple things. He knows the questions Mm. in advance, enough in advance so that they can script the correct answer for him. Mm -hmm. And two, they don't trust him 
to answer questions uh, without uh, without a script. Yes. It's interesting. I don't have the number. You have the number. But there, um, one of his, T.J. Ducklow was one of his campaign surrogates, and he was on with um, uh, with uh, Brett, Bear. Brett Bear on mm. Fox. Yes. And Brett Bear posed this question to Ducklow. Is somebody, uh, is the president using a teleprompter? Listen to how Ducklow dances around this question. Has Joe Biden ever used a teleprompter during local interviews or to answer Q&A with supporters? Brett, we are not going to engage. This is this is straight from the Trump campaign. But yeah, they're points. using and, it. And what it does, and what it does, Brett, is it's trying to distract the American people. I'm just, from, they're from, using from it. From they the talk pand- about it every day. Can you what, say yes or no? That's because they talk about it every day, Brett, because they don't have a coherent strategy. Well, you strategy. have an answer. Yes or no? Brett, they talk about it every day because they don't have a coherent argument for why Donald Trump deserves re-election, deserves four more years. We know that he lied to the American people. We know that he has not uh, shown leadership during this crisis, and they are desperate to throw anything they can against the wall to try to distract from that fact. I understand, but you can't answer the question. Brett, I am not going to allow the Trump campaign to funnel their questions through Fox News and get me to respond (laughs) to that. Now, imagine if the answer were actually no. And and Brett Baer asks Joe uh, T.J. Duck, Duck, uh, Ducklow, does Joe Biden use a teleprompter when he's taking questions of the press? No. Yeah. Okay. That's what the answer would be, but it wasn't. Oh, no, and it couldn't be. It couldn't be. You know, here's what's going on, folks. What's going on is that the mainstream media is forming a cocoon around Joe Biden because Joe Biden is an extremely weak candidate. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about our programs on his mental stability, uh, and there's more and more evidence that this man probably could not do the job, the most powerful job in the world, that he could not. The other part of the agenda is they just needed Joe Biden perhaps to, rather than Bernie Sanders, to get an election win, and then Kamala Harris and other people will take over. Once the election's over, we're not surprised. But there's no question the mainstream media is protecting Joe Biden. That's what they're doing because the mainstream media is all in on the Democratic Party and their far left agenda. The bottom line. Your thoughts when we come back. 888-589-8840 is the number to call. 888-589-8840. We want to hear from you. Steve, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, man. throughout scripture from old testament through in the new testament you see uh three categories or groups of people usually listed together that are close to god's heart yes whether society or even god's people the church even neglects or forgets about them god is always paying close attention to strangers orphans and widows exploring missions with bert harper saturday evenings at 6 30 central and sunday afternoons at one on american family radio We need to have our brains saturated in the Word of God in order to be able to defend ourselves against the deception and the lies of Satan. Brian Fisher, 
armed with the truths of Scripture, leads the charge into America's culture war. We need to be people that are immersed in the book, that know the book. Why? Because this is a book of truth. Listen weekday afternoons at 1 Central. It's Focal Point with Brian Fisher on American Family Radio. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 27 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Uh, My goal as a teacher is is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash starnes. The National Football League has gone woke. The season opener in Kansas City, Arrowhead Stadium, messages about racism in the end zone and on the helmets, announcers lecturing us about critical race theory. The Chiefs stood at attention for the Black National Anthem, but during the Star-Spangled Banner, at least one player dropped to a knee. The Houston Texans were nowhere to be found. They ran off the field before either of the anthems were played, taking refuge in the locker room. A team spokesperson told NBC News they didn't want to give the impression of supporting or opposing either anthem. The spokesman said it was not about black or white, it was about change. No, it was about intentionally disrespecting the United States. I'm not sure what's worse, cowards who hide in the locker room during the Star Spangled Banner or players who pledge allegiance to another nation's anthem. Be sure to listen to my national radio show live noon to 3 Eastern or download my free podcast at (laughs) toddstarns.com. The Hamilton Quarter Podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at AFR.net. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. And indeed, welcome back to the Hamilton Corner. Fred Jackson sitting in for Brother Abe today. Pleasure to do so. As always, we're talking about media bias, giving you a few examples that are there. It's really interesting today. Joe Biden uh, was... uh, giving a news conference. He doesn't wander very far from his home there in Delaware. But it was so odd. I mean, the President Trump, he's been in Nevada last night for a big rally out there. Uh, Today, he went to uh, a base in California to uh, give uh, awards to the flight crews that flew their helicopters into a camping area in California and rescued some 200 people. So there, there's the image that the president was putting forward today. Joe Biden wanders not far from his home in Delaware. 
he holds a news conference to criticize the president. But the news conference looked like it was in a farmer's field. I'm not exaggerating here. It looked like a wheat field behind him. And he had a podium and he read a speech. That's what he did. And in that speech, he called the president a climate change arsonist, something along that line, and proceeded to blame the president for pandemic, proceeded to blame the president for hurricanes, you name it. Uh, It was the president's fault. It is such a lackluster campaign, but I think it's a problem for the Democrats because they know they have a problem candidate being able to handle pressure. I don't know, do not know what's going to happen. Uh, the first debate is scheduled for two weeks from tomorrow night uh, with Chris Wallace of Fox News being the moderator. If Joe Biden is having problems at little news conferences at high schools in Delaware with a few select reporters, I, I just don't know if I'm a Democrat, I'd be nervous as to how he's going to be able to handle those kinds of situations with reporters giving him questions. Some people think those debates will never happen, that the Democrats will come up with some kind of excuse not to go forward with these debates. I don't know what it's going to be. Again, the mainstream will cocoon Joe Biden, whatever the decision they make. Uh, But it has got to be very troubling. Actually, there were stories today, Bernie Sanders beginning to say that Joe Biden has to change his campaign strategy it has to be more than dump on Trump. It has to be coming up with real ideas. You see, the problem for the Democrats, too, they have a divided camp. They've got the Bernie Sanders far, far, far left, and then they've got the Biden far left. And uh, so I think Bernie Sanders wants him to start talking a whole lot more about the far left, far, far left agenda uh, when he goes out and talks. So the Democrats have their problems. We'll have to wait and see about those debates, as I say, which is the first one scheduled two weeks from tomorrow night. All right, let's go to our phones right now. To Bob in Arkansas, welcome. Good evening, Bob. Go ahead. Thanks. It's great to talk to you. Listen, there's there was an old joke that went uh, one of two ways, but the basic idea was a journalist would ask a politician, have you stopped beating your wife? <laughs> and the idea being that there was no good answer for that, that the journalist knew that they had them trapped. The issue that I see, because I've worked in journalism a lot of my life, not the last 20 years I've been in ministry, those, but the 10, 15 years before that I was in journalism, and journalism is all about, uh, well, it's all about sales. It's, it's about selling papers or about selling advertising. And if you get something exciting going on, then that's good. If, some, if something is just the same old news all the time, that's boring, and that doesn't sell. If the Democrats will get in office and start tearing down America, then that's different, and it's exciting, and the news is on top of it. If the Republicans stay in and they start building the economy back and it's you know, just business as usual, let's keep America going and keep America great, then that's boring, and they don't have anything to say because they're not going to say good things. Yeah, I'm, I hear what you're saying that, you know, bad news always makes the headlines and, and brings in the audiences. But, but here's, here's just a, a counterpoint to what you're saying, Bob. And it's this. The mainstream media, the ratings for the CNNs, ABC, CBS, NBC, have all been in the tubes. 
they have fallen far below Fox, far below. I think, you know, shows like Hannity, Tucker Carlson are beating all of these other networks easily. And here's what's, what's, and here's my point. They are willing to take a beating in the ratings, it seems, to follow their left-wing ideology versus trying to produce programs that obviously are successful. Fox is successful, I think one of the reasons being, is that you will see on Fox programs opposing points of view. You will not see that. You simply will not see that on CNN. So I I, I think what has happened, as I say, a slightly different view than what you're saying, Bob, is that you've got a group of journalists now that are so invested in a political agenda. Pew Research for years has shown us that the vast majority of Washington journalists vote Democrat. Uh, 90%, I think 90 plus percent, they vote Democrat. So they see now an opportunity to put their far, far left candidate into office, and they're willing to do anything, including selling their credibility, in order to get that candidate in there. Uh, because they want that far left agenda, uh, they want it out there and into public policy. So I see it slightly different from you, but Bob, we sure appreciate your call. Let's uh, head to Texas and Stephen. Good evening, Stephen. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, in, in keeping with the uh, the subject of the day, uh, and in line with your previous caller. Uh, your response to your previous caller that uh, there seems to be this terrible leftward bent to our journalism industry. I, I would observe the same thing with the education industry, and here's my question. Um, that's been that way for a while. Both of those two, as well as others, have tended to lean toward the left, have had more socialist leanings. Uh, but where do you think that the Christian community might have fallen asleep uh, or uh, was not totally aware of just how uh, just how left that they've turned recently. It's not like all the characters and, and those two areas changed in the last four to eight years. No. Um, suddenly they've become more virulent in, uh, in what it is that they support. Um, uh, where do you think that, that this did not get noticed until now? Well, that's a, a great question. If you were listening to Brother Abe's show on Friday evening, he had an incredible guest on. Uh, who basically gave the background to where the acceptance of a more Marxist ideology has come from, critical race theory, all of those issues. And he took uh, the history of this actually back to the 30s, when basically the Nazis drove the Marxist thinking out of Germany, and those Marxists brought that ideology to America. And they, they found a welcome mat in our education system. So starting back in the 1930s. And it's a fascinating interview. Uh, obviously, I can't do it justice in trying to explain it. I would invite you to go back. I'm sure you can get the podcast on, on Abe's site, on the Hamilton Corner site, and go back and, and have a listen to this. But basically what happened, the infiltration started to happen in our education system. And it basically uh, evolved itself into, for instance, as I recollect that interview, uh, they started to introduce courses like social studies. Uh, You may have taken a social studies course when you were in school. 
but it was used as a platform to start introducing uh, an anti-Christian, more secular humanist point of view. And there is, there is financial Marxism and there is cultural Marxism. Financial Marxism, basically re- redistribution of wealth. Uh, that, that's, that's the way a government should be run. But also cultural Marxism basically is to extract Christian values from our system, from our schooling system. And so that has continued today. So start through the education system, basically taking over our university system. And the journalists that you see today are products of an education system where Marxism was, was taught. They believe, the journalists believe in Bernie Sanders because that's what they've been taught. The Black Lives Matter movement really isn't about a black man uh, being a victim of police brutality. That's not what it's about. If you read their constitution, it's really about uh, changing this country, fundamental changes in this country, cultural Marxism, financial Marxism, uh, but also doing away with the Christian nuclear family. That's one of their main tenets. It's one of their pillars that they believe in. So you have to understand that this was, has been on the go now for 60, 70 years. And what happened was, in the death of George Floyd, they saw an opportunity to take to the streets in the midst of the hatred of Donald Trump that's out there in the media, pull all of that together with a pandemic, and they said, ha-ha, now we have an opportunity to hit the streets of Portland and other Democrat-run cities, create chaos. And in order to end the chaos, they have their solution that they want. And that is why they will not stop in their agenda. So I, I think that's, that's where it all comes from. As I say, I would invite you to go. It was an absolutely fascinating interview that Abe had. Do you remember the gentleman's name? Israel Wayne. Israel Wayne. Absolutely terrific. And I would invite you to go and listen to that. And make sure your family's aware of it. And to go further, Stephen, to your question with regards to the Christian community. So the Christian community, I don't think at at large, was not aware of this agenda happening in the school system. They weren't. After a while, they became aware of it. You know, moms and dads started seeing what Johnny and Jane were bringing home from school. Or when Johnny and Jane went off to university, and by golly, by Christmas time, Johnny and Jane were coming home with ideas that, you, well, you didn't get it from us, the parents were saying. You certainly didn't get it from our church, but they were coming home. But also, the, the whole idea of social justice uh, training has come in through our seminaries. We have now mainline religions in this country that have totally bought into the whole social justice agenda. Some are buying into the critical race theory agenda. Uh, And so what's happening is now that you have an education system, you now have parents who came through that education system, journalists who came through that education system, politicians who came through that education system, and you now have pastors and seminary professors who came through that system. So you have this convergence of leftist, anti-biblical thinking that has come into um, our society and into our churches. And that's why 
what's happened is the Christian community trusted that education system because it was very clandestine in the way this Marxism was introduced. So that's what has happened. And now what you're seeing, and I found it very interesting. There have been stories in the last week or so where the homeschooling movement in this country is taking off in leaps and bounds because parents aren't willing to put up with the effects of the pandemic system on the education system. There's a lot of schools that are not doing anything yet, or they're doing uh, all online, virtual, and they're saying their their kids aren't getting a good education. So the homeschooling movement is taking off. But also, you also have a president, one of the reasons President Trump is not liked, because he favors vouchers. He favors taxpayers' money instead of going to a public school system Parents being able to take the money that they're paying now in taxes that go to a public school system and put it into a private school system, a Christian school system. And that's why the fight is on, folks. That's why it's on the teachers' unions, etc. That's why they are fighting this agenda. It's another one of those things that the, the mainstream media, I was reading a story this morning about uh, the education secretary, uh, DeVos, Uh, really pushing the idea of being able to transfer money, voucher system, to to communities. And what's really interesting is uh, folks in the black community, the Hispanic community, they, they are some of the main proponents of getting this voucher system because they want their kids to have a much better education system that it's being that's being offered in the public sector so uh that's kind of a a short explanation to what you heard last week on abe's show on friday but go and listen to that podcast folks uh it's really an opportunity to educate yourself as to how we got to the situation we're in today but the situation folks is not hopeless it is not you can always start as parents in your church to re-educate according to biblical principles and that we know is guaranteed by God himself. Hey, it's been good to be with you. Lord willing, we'll be back again tomorrow for more news and information and thoughts and your thoughts here on the Hamilton Corner. Have yourself a great evening. And don't forget, be a blessing to someone else this evening. We'll see you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.